Before we start, we want to say a quick thank you to Wharton Fintech's platinum sponsor, the Stevens Center for Innovation in Finance. The Stevens Center is a premier research, education, and thought leadership institution in the world for financial technology. Hello, everyone. And welcome to the Wharton Fintech Podcast. I'm your host, Miguel Larmasa. Our guest today is Jay Bregman, CEO and founder of Thimble, an on-demand insurance company for small businesses and independent workers. Thimble is the first company to offer on-demand insurance by the hour, day, or month to cover the 57 million people in the U.S. who work independently. Thimble has raised over $29 million from top VC investors, including IAC and AXA venture partners. Jay is an accomplished entrepreneur who previously founded Halo, a London-based ride-sharing company acquired by Daimler Mercedes-Benz in 2016. Earlier, he founded and sold a technology-enabled services company to Royal Mail. He holds a master's degree from the London School of Economics, and a bachelor's degree from Dartmouth College. And now please join me in my conversation with Jay Bregman. Jay, thank you so much for joining us on the Wharton Fintech podcast. Can uh, we start by hearing a little bit about yourself and your personal background? Sure, so this is my third business. My first two businesses were in London. So out of grad school, I started this company uh, called eCourier which was in, this is 2008-ish, I think it was 2004 to 2008. So it was a company that basically was trying to use handheld computers, there was no iPhone back then, and GPS to automate the running of a same-day courier logistics operation. So we actually had couriers that worked for us in London. We had clients like Goldman Sachs and Harrods, and we facilitated rides around the city and, and deliveries around the city. Uh, so that business was sold to the Royal Mail a couple of years later. And then out of that had this idea that as smartphones were becoming prolific, that you could create a network using these smartphones in this big, the grown up big brother to the same day delivery industry, which was the taxi industry. And that was where the idea from, for Halo was born. So that scaled to, I think, 10 countries and then was eventually sold to Daimler. And then, you know, while I was, while we were running Halo, I was always interested in the idea of people getting income from multiple sources and what would be termed eventually the gig economy. And the idea was that, look, as people were working in different ways to the nine to five, where were the core business services, the banking, the, you know, insurance, et cetera, et cetera, and how were they keeping up with the changes that were going on in, in the, the labor market? And I don't just mean necessarily, you know, gig workers as in people driving for Uber or, or Halo or whatever, but every small business now is working in a very different way to maybe 10 or 20 years ago, where if you wanted to start a business, you got to a certain scale and you bought a, a shop, right? And then you basically started a retail operation and then you went in, in, and got insurance. So Thimble kind of grew out of this idea that there was a, a new way of working a new divide between consumer and business, and therefore there was going to be a new type of insurance that was required. So we wanted to build this insurance that was much more flexible. So rather than being a just a traditional annual look, you got to buy it for the year all up front. You got to know everything about your business. You know, you could buy it for as little as an hour 
or a particular event, you could buy it month to month. So it's a very popular thing that we have right now, Thimble Monthly, where customers are buying only one month at a time on a rolling 30-day contract. And so the idea was that you could integrate into the lives of these small businesses much earlier in their story than traditional annual insurance. And so you could basically build a relationship with them and then grow with them as they, they grew, or also, as we've seen in the pandemic, uh, can work in the other direction as well. But that's a kind of brief description of how we got here. Thimble has raised about $30 million. IEC is the biggest investor. We see very, very interesting and exciting times ahead for small business. It's pretty much all up, upwards from here, meaning that basically we see this dramatic rebirth happening with small businesses in America, where every business is effectively small business is reopening for the first time and reassessing all of their operating structure and therefore their core uh, service needs and therefore their insurance as well uh, at the same time. And that's a great opportunity if people want a new new age type of solution like ours. Fantastic. Backtracking a, a little bit to your entrepreneurial background, why do you think you always had that entrepreneurial bug being family, your, your third business, right? That's not your typical background for a founder. Usually we find a lot of first-time founders. Uh, was this always in your head? Was this entrepreneurial bug always uh, you know, within you? So my, my family, all doctors. On every side of the family, my mother is a certified nurse anesthetist. My father was a heart surgeon. So I was kind of brought up in medicine and I was brought up to believe that although medicine was very rewarding uh, from a social perspective, that it was really just getting tougher and tougher with what was happening to medicine in the U.S. in terms of earnings. So, you know, the, the, the doctors all looked to the entrepreneurs as a kind of greener grass. So that was something that I was kind of brought up believing also like this idea that you could invent something and then, you know, build your career around that, you know, was something that was kind of ingrained in me from an early age. And I think that's what's kept me more than anything in this game, it's this idea that you can invent something that's very special to people's lives. It's very hard to build, sometimes takes years and tens of millions of dollars, right? Nobody could ever have built it themselves. But the joy that somebody gets from their first insurance policy, right? Or taxi ride or courier or whatever it is, taking a little bit of pain out of their lives is just really incredible. And I think it's that's what keeps me in this, you know, time after time. Now, in within fintech, right, uh, a lot of entrepreneurs have to spend, like you mentioned, have to spend years building the product before they actually go to market. You've actually had a different experience within a different industry, right, where you build products that can go to market faster. Talk a little bit about this dynamic and then particularly more on the Thimble side. Yeah, it's a really good point. So literally, when we were building the first ride hailing apps in London, the biggest competition at certain points was literally a cab driver's brother who understood a little bit about how to program an iPhone app and gotten 10 or 20 of his buddies out there. I mean, it was that easy. The barriers were entry with that low at that stage. You know, it turned out getting started and getting liquidity was much more expensive, but basically getting started and getting out there took very, very little. And there were virtually no rules and regulations as to, to how you had to operate, at least at that time. You know, you compare that to building an insurance product to get approved for sale in all 50 states in the United States. Well, okay, so you've got to come up with your interesting idea. You've got to basically, you've got to figure out how you can actually do that in a compliant way. There are all 50 different regulations. Then you've got to find an, you know, an underwriter or an insurer to, to back it. 
Uh, then you've got to go through the state regulatory process, which can take 12 to 18 months to get all the states. If you're lucky, it is a hugely slow endeavor just to get this first product out there. And so I think it is a different type of um, development. It's not for the faint of heart. You really have to be a little seasoned, I think, to do it right. But, you know, the, frankly, I think the, the end result that you can get to is similar. You just have to be a little patient, a lot more patient, and I think better capitalized in terms of getting to that initial product that's out in the marketplace. The reason it's better is because once you have that product out there, it is equally, if not harder, more difficult for the competition, be they any kind of massive name in insurance like Berkshire Hathaway or another startup to go through that same process to get to the same place that you are. And even if they do, they're still a year behind you because you know, based on your data and your systems, what's working now, and you've gone and filed all kinds of new products in the meantime. So both are uh, you know, interesting, but opposite challenges. Very interesting. And, and how did you approach building the initial technology and the product, as well as recruiting the initial team? Yeah, look, I mean, a lot of it was listening to customers. I mean, so, you know, the business started out, it was actually called Verify and not Thimble. And it started out because and it was called that because it was uh, providing service to drone pilots, right? That was our one business class that we were starting out with. Drone pilots in 2016 who were flying their drone for money and didn't want to buy these expensive annual contracts that were being sold, you know, at the time, they just wanted one or two, you know, hours of coverage. And so we developed this model for how they could buy on demand on their phone in 10 seconds, no underwriting questions, just based on the location coverage that was all priced dynamically. And so, so we, we, we released that, got it approved in, in all 50 states, and it sold very well at pilots, you know, telling other pilots. So we've got pretty much a huge saturation of the market, you know, which granted has had its limitations, but also it turned out that a lot of the people who were drone pilots actually were not professional drone pilots insofar as they were actually real estate brokers or they were actually photographers or they were actually a small you know, handyman or construction guys. And so we got a lot of requests for us to actually augment the system by basically doing other types of businesses. So we said, okay, it's a great opportunity. Let's build an episodic commercial general liability and on-demand commercial general liability system. It's the largest business insurance policy type in the world. Hasn't been updated since 1986. Let's build it like we would be building it if we sold it today. And that's what we did. And so we found Markel, which is a wonderful company. They've been a partner of ours a long time. They're basically an insurance company that is providing our underwriting and some infrastructure to us. And so anyway, we, we launched this product for about, I think probably at that time, it was about 20 different types of business. And uh, yeah, sold, it, it sold very well. And so we iterated. Now we have 120 types of business. By the end, the end of this year, we'll have several hundred. We'll do bigger businesses. So I think it's all about getting that initial wedge into the market and then growing based on the feedback that your customers give you. Can you expand a little bit more on those existing customers? Who is your typical customer? Is there a typical Thimble yeah, sure. customer? So what's so exciting about this business, uh, Thimble, is that it really does span, run the gamut in terms of it's mostly blue collar. So mostly handymen, pressure washers, landscapers, right? These kinds of professions. But also there is a significant amount of white collar type work too, which is, you know, photographers, consultants, that type of thing. But it really is the gamut in terms of 
all kinds of different work. The only unifying factor is that these are small businesses, embryonic businesses, usually between one and five people working together. Got it, got it. And um, you mentioned a little bit about some of your partners. Uh, can you expand on, on who are your main partners? Yeah, it, when you want to bring an insurance product to life, you have kind of have two options. One is you raise equity capital and debt if you can get it, and you create your own insurance company. And that's a huge endeavor. It's not only a huge endeavor, but for business insurance, it's very difficult to do because business insurance, you're selling a million dollar limits to every customer. And so that aggregates very quickly into you need a ton and a colossal amount of money. Or you find a partner that is willing to work with you because they want to learn about you know, about how agile startups operate, where they want to get into a market that they're not into, somebody like Markel. And basically, you know, they provide you some infrastructure, you provide them some IP in terms of the filings, and then you work together to get them approved in states and basically sold. And so that partnership, I think, is crucial to, and, and it's make or break to any, to any business in the SMB space. And I, I can say that, you know, you want somebody who is solid, a rock, 100 plus years old, great culture that matches yours. There aren't that many of those companies uh, around. So we're very fortunate, I think, to have partnered with Markel when we did. Great. Now, a lot of your customers are actually those on the front lines of this crisis <laughs> that we're experiencing. How have they reacted and, and how has this affected your business? It's actually very interesting. So we have a, a chart which shows basically kind of performance of each subgroup of customers. So like handyman and contractors, events and entertainment, et cetera. Now, as you might expect, events is, has been a steady, steady decline. It's really just bounced back a little bit, you know, in the last week. But if you look at things like landscapers, it's a huge curve up. And speaking to some of the landscapers, what they've said is, look, we're doing a lot of houses where the people are stuck at home and they look outside every day and see their lawn. So they want to make sure that their lawn looks good. They don't want to do it themselves. So likewise, pressure washing off the charts, right? Like, because again, it's something that can be done outside and something people need no matter what. Cleaners and janitors, also business up, right? Because we need more cleaners, right? We need more clean surfaces and clean houses. So anyway, we have found it's very interesting to see how some of the people on the front lines are actually finding that their businesses are transformed or, or increasing because they're doing activities that can be done outdoors or it can be done safely. And yeah, I think that's a very interesting trend. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's fascinating. And has this situation affected your future plans or has it shaped them in a different way? Yeah, I think what it's really done for us so we designed this product to be the best product in the world, the best insurance product in the world to address the uncertainty of starting a business. So if, you, if you're start, even thinking about doing some work that requires insurance because your client requires insurance usually, we're the place to go first while you're still figuring out what your needs are going to be longer term. What we did not expect, but what has happened is people have started to use us actually as something that... I was a larger business, I was a, or a larger small business, I was buying annual insurance, and now I'm, I'd like to find a month-to-month -month solution to downtrade to because all the assumptions I built that annual policy on are no longer true, but I need insurance, so I, and I need something continuous. So this Thimble Monthly, Thimble Monthly product is like a very intriguing uh, you know, kind of product. It's a cord-cutting product, so it's very similar to what has been done in telecoms, et cetera, contractless, month-to-month, -month, et cetera. But nobody's ever done that in insurance. It's actually a huge deal to be able to figure out how to do that. 
in insurance. And what that's enabled us to do is to really get a lens into small businesses that are basically kind of retrenching a little bit, as opposed to just businesses that are uh, that are starting up. So we're starting to see essentially a lot of small businesses start to look like startups again. And so that, if anything, has increased our appetite, and we're getting more feedback from customers about other products that we can add to the mix, right? Can we add, you know, professional liability, which we have in almost every state now, in the marine, so people can protect their tools or their computer or, or what have you. So, you know, I think the way that I see this going is it's really accelerating our vision of creating a service that is not just for the tiniest of businesses, but also for the main street type of SMBs. And that's the path that we're on now. We're just you're moving, I think, much more quickly. And also, I think, from a regulatory perspective, because all these products need to be approved by regulators, usually that's a very slow process. If anything, it's accelerated, though, in our experience in the past 12 months, because they still are reviewing these policies. But they're very interested helping SMBs, which they know have been really affected by providing them more choice and more savings opportunities in insurance. And so we've found that the regulators are really partners and have become more partners in, in the process as well. So I think the entire environment, uh, although it's, it's very scary and, and a lot of businesses that we service have been you know, shut down temporarily, we've also come out with something called pause, which is very unique. So you know, when all of this coronavirus started coming out, you saw companies being like, well, we'll save you 15% in a month or something like that. You might be driving your car you know, zero this month, but, but we'll give you a 15% rebound, even though we took the other 85%. We said, well, that doesn't make any sense, right? If people aren't using their policies, they should be able to pause their policies for a month or what, whatever, and then come back to them when they are actually working, because that's what they really want, a pause button. So we built a pause button in just a couple of weeks that has allowed people to pause their policies when they're going through the intensity of the lockdowns and now are starting to unpause those policies as well. So I think there's a lot new products can do in this kind of environment because nobody ever figured that there would be this kind of shutdown, but we've essentially been anticipating it all along in the fact that this is what startups go through all the time. Is this pause button something you plan keeping post-COVID? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It is something that really signifies to the customers what we're all about, you know, that we're about making insurance uh, simple, and basically, we're trying to find ways that they can uh, that they can better organize their lives and their businesses. Makes sense. Makes sense. We've had quite a few guests on the podcast who have mentioned being very bullish about the insure tech landscape. Tell us a little bit more about broadly the insure tech you know, environment and how do you see it evolving. So, look, the first thing to know about the insure tech environment is there aren't that many startups. And the reason there are not that many startups is it's not as attractive as ride hailing or any of these consumer type markets to a lot of entrepreneurs that really just want to get going. So it just takes a special breed to do. And then the fact that you need, in a lot of cases, these partnerships with major insurance companies in order to really take them forward, those are difficult to get. They generally, people want to deal with seasoned type entrepreneurs. So there is a somewhat limited supply in every area of insure tech of types of businesses that are available. I think if you look at the markets themselves, right, so particularly for commercial insurance, which is a hundred billion plus market, less than 7% of the market is, uh, is in the, mo the hands of the biggest player. So these markets are really ripe for new entrants and they're not very well defended because we're certainly not relative to auto or other areas. So we think that there's a lot of opportunity in the SMB market in particular 
especially because of the fact that everybody has been paused for a period of time, because that really prompts people to bring insurance to the top of their checklist versus, you know, previously, maybe things have been so good that they were just not really that interested uh, in switching. Got it. Got it. Has the conversation with your investors evolved over time? Have you seen new investors, new VCs uh, become increasingly more interested in the insure tech space? So I think it's, it's definitely still a hot space. It reminds me of like, so ride hailing in 2010 was very different than, than it is, was a couple of years ago or even today in that many of the VCs simply didn't believe the market. They didn't believe taxis were anything interesting. They thought it was very local type market, not globally scalable. So, but a couple of years later, you had the most valuable tech, you know, private company in the world being a transportation company and transportation became a very cool thing. So I see insurance is still probably considered to be highly regulated, you know, really difficult, just basically not an attractive market, but there's some indications that actually it's going to be the next transportation or even better in terms of profitability. So yeah, I believe that basically from an investment perspective, it's a well understood business that has its roots in sort of the nature of humanity. And so is not going away anytime soon. And if you can crack it and actually make the leaves of the business work, you know, it can be very, very profitable. And so your business is a U.S. focus at this moment. Do you think you'll expand internationally? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, we were just speaking to somebody about this the other day. So the, the problems that small businesses have are pretty much universal. And really, there's no, there's no reason why what we've created can't be translated to other markets with the right partners. And so the, the only reason that we haven't done that yet is just the opportunity in America is so large, right? You know, $100 billion plus. In a, in a relatively homogenous market with very, you know, kind of fragmented dynamics that there's, you can build such a big business here that basically maybe you want to wait a little bit more uh, than, for, for example, Halo, where London was only one of 10 or 15 cities in the world where you get most of your volume. So you really had to go after those cities very quickly. I think this is a different story. If you can make the business model work and scale in the U.S., then you can go internationally very easily. That makes sense. That makes sense. Great, Jay. So we, we do have quite a few listeners who are either current entrepreneurs or aspiring founders. You've mentioned many lessons throughout the interview, but do you have uh, any reflections that you'd like to talk about for our listeners? Well, look, I mean, especially for people going through this right now, it really takes an unbelievable amount of dedication and grit what I mean by that is you will go through massive periods of time and it's totally normal. Every entrepreneur, I don't care if you're Elon Musk or whatever, where things are all not going right at the same time. There's been a pandemic, right? You know, like can't get investors. All of this stuff happens all the time. But there are these periods which if you work at it hard enough, you will experience where everything sort of goes right. And basically all the work that you've done to try and move key levers and to try and get a business working actually starts to work and the engine starts to work and the customers start to love it. Um, and that's worth waiting for and it's worth fighting for. Thank you for that. Great. Finally, before we let you go, we have uh, one last question that we like to ask all of our guests and it's more about your, your personal side, some of your hobbies outside of Thimble. Oh yeah. So I, I used to box as far every week. And I, re I really loved it. I've only gotten into boxing for the, probably six months, very technical, but I really, really enjoy it. I really miss my sparring partner. 
obviously can't do much of that uh, because of the lockdowns. But what I did get very into is weight training. So like barbell training. So I have a power rack that I built in my apartment. I have pretty much anything that a gym would have. And I'm really into the idea of, you know, like, how can I get as big as possible? So when I go back to the boxing ring, I'm a little bit stronger opponent. And I think the, it's just a very interesting thing. And also it, it kind of uh, is a nice, nice way to occupy your mind on trying to eat healthy, you know, and trying to kind of push yourself a little bit physically in addition to, uh, you know, uh, you might be doing mentally during the day. Maybe that's, that's the next step after Thimble, a pay-per-view fight. Ah. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a treat. Mm -hmm. I'm sure everyone will enjoy it. And, you know, once this pandemic is over, you're always welcome to join us on campus as well. Oh, I, would, I would absolutely love that. Absolutely love that. So look, thank you very much. If anybody has any questions or comments, they can get in touch with me through you or directly. And I really enjoyed the time together. So thank you very much for inviting me. Thank you, Jay. Great one. Appreciate it. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Wharton Fintech Podcast. If you like the show, please consider leaving us a review or letting us know in the comments. If you want more content from our Fintech community, please subscribe to our podcast channel and find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and the rest of social media at Wharton Fintech. You will find interviews, articles, videos, and much more analyzing all aspects of the industry. Signing off, I'm your host, Miguel Armasa. <laughs>